Take your Word of God, your copy of the Word of God, and turn to Psalm 134. And as an act of worship, we will read this psalm. It's a very short one, so Psalm 134. Thank you, worship team, as you have ministered to us and with us as we exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It lends ourselves right into this psalm. Psalm 134, if you would follow along as I read this one. It's a song of ascents. Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Heavenly Father, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for whoever recorded it, and thank you that you have designed it for a special purpose. And we thank you that we can meet together this morning to worship you, to exalt you, to look forward to all that you're going to do in and through us this day. We thank you for the freedom we enjoy to meet in this place, for this campus. We thank you for it. We thank you for the future you have for us as you give us our days. We thank you for the freedom we enjoy in this country. We do pray for our leaders and pray for them for wisdom in these very tumultuous times. And we pray for those who happen to be believers in our upper echelons of government, that they would hold fast to the cause of Christ. We thank you for blessing us with life. We thank you for your presence with us here today, that we have this opportunity to worship you, to lift up your name, and to see what you're going to do in us and through us. We thank you for our children and for those who care and teach them, and we thank you, Lord, that uh, you know all about that. And we pray each one would grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, for it's in his name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Uh, Just let me uh, follow up with Dave Johnson's comments about the security team. I'm so thankful. We've been talking about it for a while, and we had a good turnout of our security team. As we know, safety and security is an important thing, and we want you all to be safe and secure in this building as we meet together, and especially our children. And uh, so, like Dave said, don't take it personally if the door is locked back there. Just walk around. And so we are thankful for those who are serving on that team here today. Well, this is this psalm, Psalm 134, is the final of the Psalms of Ascent. We have been in this study for some 15 Sundays. So remember, there are 15 Psalms of Ascent, or Songs of Degrees. They're pilgrim songs, uh, beginning in Psalm 120, and now this is the final one. And it's always kind of bittersweet for me personally when I come to an end of a series, a, a sermon series, Uh, because there's so much packed into these psalms that we have probably just scratched the surface together. And so they're always good to go back to. Remember, the pilgrims in ancient Israel were commanded by God to go up to Jerusalem three times a year. They were to go up and pass over Pentecost and the Day of Atonement. And, of course, they would go uh, spring, summer, and fall from wherever they lived and wherever they worked and farmed and had families and community, and they would go up on these festival times And by the way, their festivals lasted a number of days, whereas we Americans, you know, two hours and we're done, right? You know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, two hours, we're done. But anyway, they would go up and they would spend time together as their families would would fellowship with one another. The tribes would fellowship. They would come together. Well, we come to these Psalms of Ascent, and the last three are actually the point of arrival. 
If you remember, if you were with us, uh, Psalm 132 talks about arriving at Mount Zion and the Ark of the Covenant, which was representative of God's power, God's place, God's purpose for the nation Israel, and his very presence there. Even though we know no building can hold God, he is infinite in his being. And then Psalm 133 was about unity in the community or great fellowship uh, among the people and among the tribal people of Israel in those days. And here in Psalm 134, it's the final one, and it's a psalm about blessing, and we will talk about that in a moment. But I was thinking, I've never really had a pilgrim experience that I'm aware of, and I've emphasized through these 15 psalms that uh, <clears throat> that uh, we are really pilgrims on a journey. And I thought, how appropriate uh, for Sam Traxler to go to heaven and finalize his pilgrim journey uh, just yesterday. And I thought, he must have known we were coming to Psalm 134 to, f- to finish up this arrival period. But most of us really don't have a pilgrim experience like the ancient Israelites did or the Jewish people as they went up to Jerusalem. So perhaps the closest thing in my mind to a pilgrim experience is what we would call tent camping, you know, rustic tent camping. Uh, when I was uh, growing up in Colorado, my parents, every summer, we would go up into the Rockies and we would tent camp. And we had, my dad had an army surplus uh, tent that we had and the army surplus sleeping bags. None of this fancy stuff, you know, none of the down-filled sleeping bags. Well, ours were full of chicken feathers, and in some of them, they looked like they pushed the whole chicken in there. And so, and it had that wonderful kind of that uh, chemical smell about the whole thing, but I'm persuaded the whole purpose of camping is to make us long for home, to long to go home. The first day is great, you know, putting up the tent, getting the site ready, getting your bearings and looking if you're fortunate enough to be by a lake, to go down to the lake and check that all out. And, you know, by the second day, you're really loving that food cooked over an open flame and you're starting to get used to the ash that is part of everything you eat there and the, and the dirt. And uh, so you love that. Uh, but you're a little irritated because the wood burns up a little bit too fast and you're starting to gather all the wood that's available around you and you're excited about the prospect of catching some fish for dinner, but uh, typically, uh, at least for me anyway, uh, I understood that fishing is catching, so I never was able to fish that well. Uh, So by the time you're into it three or four days, your back is hurting because your air mattress has gone flat and it's rained most of the times, the kids are upset, you're tired and you're just wishing somebody would say, can't we just go home? Can't we just go home? And I think all that, those days in the wilderness and tent camping and uh, the ice melts in the ice chest and the food's ruined and you, can't we just go home? And, uh, and it's prepared you for this pilgrim journey towards home. You want to go home. You know, our world is not set up to be a pleasing place, is it? There's adversity, there's difficulty, but we are on a journey. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are traveling to a destination. That's what it means to be a pilgrim in Scripture, that we have an object and a destination that is more than just living our life here today, as important as that is. And so as a community of believers, we are on this journey and uh This psalm is a very short psalm. It's not the shortest, but it is very short, just three verses. But it is really a spiritual gem, and we could spend a whole sermon series on the focus of this psalm, which is really the focus of worship and focus of blessing. 
Psalm 120 began at a very dark place. If you were with us for that psalm, you can go back and read it. He mentions a place called Kedar, living in Kedar, which itself means black or darkness. And here at the end of the Psalms of Ascent, uh, they're in Jerusalem, they're at Mount Zion, praising God in a place of worship, and he blesses them. Uh, This is the last psalm, as I've said. And so this is a time... Uh, to reflect upon the last bunch of psalms and to reflect how they apply to our lives in this journey, spiritual journey of the Christian life. So the question is, is even though maybe we began well, what happens now? What, uh, what, what, is the, what does the destination look like? What is the end of faith? What is the end of faith? What takes place when we finally arrive? Will we be disappointed? Will it be worth the journey? And we see through these psalms, if you remember Psalm 120, it began with a statement about repentance, about having a change of mind, about God and his plan and his sovereignty in the whole world, his power, and that he's bringing all things to completion for his glory and the good of his people. That was Psalm 120, and we've traveled through with these pilgrims as they went up to Mount Zion and have arrived in this last psalm is a psalm of blessing, a psalm of blessing. If you look at your copy of Scripture, you notice that the word bless occurs in verse 1, the end of verse 2, and the beginning of verse 3. So you start getting the theme. If you use the New International Version, I think they translate the first two occurrences as praise, as praise. But it's all, these three words are all the same word. And in Scripture, there are two words that are translated to bless or blessed. The first one is the Hebrew word ashray, ashray. And it describes the kind of blessing you feel when you have it all together. There's a sense of well-being. We're living in communion with time and creation and with God himself. That word is always used of mankind. It is never used of God himself. It's only used of people. The second word is baraka or barak. And that's the Hebrew word which describes what God is doing to us as well as among us. He is with us. He is a God who blesses us. And that is the word that occurs three times in Psalm 134, the Psalm of Barach or Baraka. And so we see that. There's a book title that is, the title is fascinating. I don't know that the book is as as fascinating as the title. But the book is entitled, The God Who Stands stoops and stays the god who stands stoops and stays it's really a posture of blessing as god blesses us the author is talking about god is a god who stands in other words he is foundational he is dependable he is all-powerful he is to who we look to for our sufficiency and for the very extension of our being God also stoops. In other words, he kneels to our level. Of course, that was perfectly illustrated in the Lord Jesus Christ, taking on human flesh, experiencing what we experience and dying in our place on the cross of Calvary. But he's also a God who stays. He sticks with us. The Bible declares that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Even in the darkest hour, in the most adverse times, in the greatest loss, God will always be with you in the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 1 tells us that we serve and worship and glorify a God who never sleeps, a God who never sleeps. Look again at verse 1. Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. 
In the context, the historical context, which is important, remember the pilgrims went up to Mount Zion, and in that temple there would be priests and Levites serving, especially during festival times. It would be a 24-7 type of ministry. They would be there through the night. They would always be there. And so the pilgrims, before they left to go back to their villages, back to their farms, wherever they lived, uh, they went up and they could hear the temple choir singing, even at 3 in the morning. Can you imagine that? Uh, when we see that the pilgrims had a variety of experiences on their journey, undoubtedly, as we look at these psalms, they arrived safely at the Temple Mount. They heard the choir, the praises to Jehovah, to Yahweh, and the ministry that uh, continued all night. Remember in 1 Kings 18, the pagan temples were silent at night because their gods had to sleep. And we see that in the Old Testament. But our God does not sleep. He is the God of gods. It tells us in Psalm 121, verses 3 and 4, about God. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will never slumber or sleep. While we slept last night, God is an active living God. He's carrying out his purposes. He is going through that. Psalm 127 tells us that the Lord gives sleep to his beloved people, but he stays awake and guards the city and watches over our families. He also hears the praises of his people. It's often been said with our relationship with Macau, with China, and with others, and we have missionaries in Africa, that even while we're sleeping somewhere in the world, there are Christians who are worshiping God, and God is responding to that. He is the Lord that made the heaven and earth at the end of uh, verse 3. He is the one who made heaven and earth. Imagine the power that took. He can watch over you while you sleep in the deepest, darkest hours and in the times where you're struggling and awake, perhaps in the middle of the night. Remember that he will never leave you or forsake you. He made the day and the night, Genesis chapter 1 tells us. The darkness and light are both equal to him in Psalm 139. When we go to sleep, we know that the Father is caring for us. And when, he, when we awake, he is there to greet us. Even if you live alone, even if the nights are very dark, Jesus Christ knows. Even if we awaken in the night, we can fellowship with him, consider his word. I just read an interesting article. That's, it's been scientifically studied. Some have studied this, that people who tend to have trouble sleeping at night wake up that their sleep increases if they make the pointed decision to forgive somebody who's offended them. Isn't that interesting? In the middle of the night, if you lay awake at 3 o'clock in the morning, like I sometimes do, think back, is there somebody you need to forgive, that you can forgive them? And the studies are starting to show that people who do that, their sleep returns. Isn't that interesting? Uh, We'll see how that goes, in other words. But uh, God never slumbers or sleeps. And so the aspect and the question is, is why do we have to lay awake and worry about stuff? And so behold, he starts with that word behold in verse 1. In other words, look. And then there's an invitation and a command. There's an invitation and a command in the next two verses. Uh, Bless the Lord, all the servants of the Lord. Remember, the priests and Levites were serving by night. And lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. It's an invitation and a command. Come bless God. Lift your praises and your hands, essentially, and bless God. Sometimes uh, people ask or they'll inquire about, when does your worship end? What time does your worship end? And if you were to ask that question of the priests or Levites in this temple in Jerusalem, they would have replied, never, never. 
Our worship should never end. David arranged the temple choir to praise the Lord day and night in First Chronicles, also in Psalm 92. And so somewhere in the world, people are always worshiping God, no matter whether we're sleeping or not. And so there's an invitation and a command here. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from another time, said, Any man can sing in the day, but he is the skillful singer who can sing when there is not a ray of light by which to read, who sings from his heart. That's why we emphasize with our worship ministry, with our music ministry, that uh, the lyrics to our songs are your take-home theology. Because you don't wake up in the middle of the night and hear my voice preaching, because that would put you right back to sleep, right? Okay. We'll get that clear first, but uh, we, we wake up and remember songs and lyrics that we have heard, and it's, it's amazing about our memory. If it's something but the music, we tend to remember it better. And so the songs we sing, we vet them in, in a sense theologically to make sure they are sound theologically and match Scripture because we need to praise and worship God in an accurate, precise way. And so that's the take-home theology that if you wake up in the middle of the night, hopefully you remember to sing, and he gives us those songs in the middle of the night. So this is a God who never sleeps. Verse 2, this is a worship that never ends, a worship that never ends. As I said, God gives us songs in the night when the circumstances are difficult, when they're adverse, and we cannot see our way. The greatest privilege and responsibility of individual believers of churches is to worship God. Everything flows out of our worship. And so this is an invitation and a command, if you notice here, that we are to praise him, to bless him. The word bless there, Barak, means to we verbally praise him. We think about God. We read his word. We respond to his truth. And so we do that. And uh, we live in a day and age where it seems like emotions are the things that make the decisions in life. And uh, first of all, your feelings don't run the show. Your feelings don't run the show. I still like the old illustration from Campus Crusade for Christ of a train. And uh, the engine was the facts. The, uh, the coal car, of course, we don't even know what a coal car is anymore. This is an old illustration. But the, the train engine is the facts. The coal car is our faith. The caboose is your feelings. And your feelings must follow the facts and the faith you've placed in the facts of God's word and your feelings will follow along. So your feelings don't run the show. And yet today in our culture, uh, worship has been trivialized in many churches uh, where it's just simply clever entertainment and the sanctuary has become a theater. And, uh, you know, but the choir in this temple in Jerusalem raised their hands and it's a show and act of submission. And they were pointing to the source of all good things, praising him for his mercy and grace. The Lord looks on the heart. He knows the heart. This is about looking on the heart. You know, people cannot feel their way into thinking, contrary to popular opinion. People cannot feel their way into thinking, but you can think your way into feeling. You can think your way and respond correctly. You know, because we say, well, I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like being with God's people, or I don't feel like singing, or I don't feel like reading my Bible. Well, what you need to do, it's a motor skill, is you determine you're going to do it, and then the feelings will follow your decision, your act of the will. You may not be able to command your heart, but you can command your arms. 
where he says here to lift your hands in the sanctuary. He's talking about that submission, that act. It's a physical act, worshiping God with our whole bodies. It's not a command in the New Testament, yet it tells us there that we can worship him. And when we pray to lift holy hands, 1 Timothy 2.8, Therefore I want every man in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and decision. It's an act of submission. I heard one uh, speaker in Chicago talk about this issue, and it may have been out of this verse. And he said, you know, what happens when you run into a power greater than yourself and they are after you, you go, I surrender. (laughs) And that's the picture here is that it's not about me, but it's about God. And I am surrendering, submitting to the mighty holy God who is the creator of heaven and earth. We may not feel like it, but we can command ourselves to be here, to look at what God is doing, to read his word, to be with his people. The actor Humphrey Bogart once defined a professional as a person who did a better job when he didn't feel like it. He did a better job when he didn't feel like it. So worship that never ends. And then these two instances, verse 1 and verse 2 of bless, it's calling upon us, inviting us, commanding us to bless the Lord. And that can include praising God, include living our life that is pleasing to him. We can praise him. But verse 3, it changes. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May the Lord bless you. You know, we cannot outbless the almighty God. We cannot outpraise the almighty God. Isn't that amazing? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, some of you who grew up in those traditions, says the first question is, is what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? The answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And these pilgrims, they left the temple. The priest on duty called, may the Lord bless you from Zion in uh, in other places also. It's interesting here that the pronoun you is in the singular form. It's not plural as we would expect, but it's in the singular form. And what is telling us is that the blessing of God is for each one of us personally. It is also singular in the priestly benediction found in Numbers chapter 6, which we will finish with today. Isn't that interesting that God, he cares for the community. He loves his church. We are called the bride of Christ, but he blesses us by blessing you individually. And since we are believer priests, as I mentioned last week, we can understand that we are to call one another to praise God, to bless him, to lift our hands in worship and to bless him. We know that uh, there is grace and gratitude. Those two things go together. It's kind of like gratitude follows grace, like thunder follows lightning. When we understand grace, and that's the Greek word charis, and gratitude is eucharista, which we get the term eucharist from, but grace always is followed by gratitude when we understand. But best of all, we don't have to wait till we get to the end of the road, to the end of our journey to enjoy what is at the end of the road, because we are experiencing grace right now, and we can be very thankful that God has extended it to us. And so he calls us, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. God bless you is the form here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we have this statement about our position in Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Peter writes, and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, 
You also, speaking to Christians, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We are to bless God because he blesses us. Remember at the end of Psalm 133, for the Lord commanded the blessing life forever. And at the end of this verse, and the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. This is the God of capable of giving you life forever in Jesus Christ. For those of us who choose to no longer live as tourists, there are a lot of Christian tourists in the world today. Going to the latest seminar, the last, the next uh, concert, the next famous preacher, whatever it is, just going from one thing to another. There's a difference between tourists and pilgrims. We can be a tourist in Jerusalem, but not a pilgrim in Jerusalem. And so the songs of ascent combine the aspect of the anticipation and the joyfulness and the cheerfulness of a traveling song with the practical practicality of a guidebook and a map that we are on this journey together. William Faulkner, the author, described it this way, and this is what I want to leave you with today. Even though we've completed these 15 psalms, uh, this is not the end. They are not monuments, but they are footprints. They are not monuments, but they are footprints. A monument only says, at least I got this far, while a footprint says, this is where I was when I moved again. This is where I was when I moved again. We are not finished yet. The Psalms of Ascent, the pilgrims who began in a harsh, far-off land, the world's darkness in which we're well aware of, it ends in a very different night in Psalm 134.1. Secure in the Lord's house and under his blessing, we are called to a long obedience in the same direction. There are no shortcuts in the Christian life. It's faithfulness, availability, and teachability, abiding in Christ our Savior. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the Psalms of Ascent and those who use.